Welcome to the EggerSafe Network podcast, where our mission is protecting the people who feed the world. I'm the executive director of AgriSafe, and we're pleased that you're spending this hour with us. We know you have a lot of choices in how to spend your time. Um, there's a lot of great offerings in terms of think tanks and town halls. AgriSafe has developed a weekly series uh, that starts at 11 o'clock Central Time every Thursday for the next eight weeks. And we're very fortunate because we can do this because of support from two NIOSH-funded ag centers. The uh, Central States for Ag Safety and Health is a sponsor of these weekly series, as well as the Southwest Center for Agricultural Health, Injury Prevention and Education. So many thanks to these NIOSH-funded ag centers to support the work that we're doing to get ready for these uh, weekly series, make sure they're timely, make sure we've got presenters that are able to provide valuable information and to also generate ideas that hopefully stimulate uh, discussion in between sessions and allow people to network and collaborate on a national scale. Again, this is my contact information, so feel free to reach out to me um, if we can be of assistance, certainly. Um, we're looking for uh, great presentations that are timely, that are relevant, that help us um, work together to address the issue of COVID-19. If you're not familiar with our work, um, our tagline is protecting the people who feed the world. I know this is a big challenge because the world is very large and there are wonderful people that are working every day, farmers, ranchers, farm workers, um, but at the end of the day, they have health disparities and they suffer from conditions related to their occupation. When there's emerging issues like COVID-19 that happen, we want to make sure we address this head on and figure out how we can be most productive in protecting these folks. AgriSafe's approach is, um, uh, whoops, let me go ahead and fix this. AgriSafe's approach is um, really focused on a total farmer health initiative. And so you'll see that when you look at the offerings that we are putting together each week, we're going to have a variety of topics we covered uh, as it relates to the total farmer health. I'm gonna go ahead and um, switch to the next presenter here. Just give me a minute. Alrighty. Uh, joining me here in, in uh, these presentations each week is Gwen Parker, and she is a WorkSafe spe specialist with AgriSafe. I'm gonna make you a presenter here. Gwen, just hold on a minute. No, that's not right, excuse me. All right. All right, Gwen, you're good to go. I'm going to go ahead and mute my mic. Thank you so much, Natalie. <clears throat> good morning, everyone. Again, thank you for joining us today. Uh, we're very excited to be able to offer this webinar series. Um, so I'm, I'm going to do some housekeeping with you today as far as functionality of the webinar and some really valuable resources. Um, that you're going to be able to take away with you and also source in the future. So today, just a very quick topic overview and some of the presenters that we're fortunate to have with us today. Uh, we are going to start with uh, one of our AgriSafe interns, Emma Berquist. Um, she's going to talk about rural epidemi epidemiology of COVID-19. Um, then we're going to go to Amy Wolf, um, Emeritus President and CEO with AgSafe. Um, and she's going to talk about COVID-19 responses and guidance for agricultural operations. 
Uh, and last but not least, we're going to have uh, Christine Sande, Program Manager um, at Rural Health Information Hub, and she's going to review some COVID-19 resources for agricultural communities. Uh, so why are we doing this? Um, if you were with us last webinar, uh, we discussed this, but we are going to run through a couple of things that um, for, for new individuals joining us as well. But we just want to do this to ensure that we're keeping the industry informed um, and detailed information, personal group feelings in agriculture on uh, COVID-19. Um, we felt that there needed to be a forum for agricultural workers to keep up with you know, trends happening in the industry, and as well as just fostering some some important communication between industry leaders right now um, as this pandemic is happening in our country. Um, we also want to make sure that we're providing accurate information to individuals who are seeking clarification over some of this information that is um, being put out on social media and on the web. So we're gonna do our best uh, to try to answer those questions accurately for you and, and clarify any questions that you might have. Uh, and again, we want to foster a sense of unity. We're in this together. Uh, this is a very trying time for everyone. So um, we really want to foster that sense of unity between everybody in the industry. Um, so your participation. So your participation is extremely important to the success of this think tank. Uh, so whenever you join as a participant, uh, you can choose your computer audio, you can choose to phone call, dial in, but most importantly, um, we would really like for you to submit questions and participate in our chat panel. Um, if you have a question for a speaker, please put it in the question box here listed on the screen. Uh, you'll be able to see this to the right of your screen whenever you log in. Um, if you have resources to share, please put those into the chat box. Um, but if you put it in, into the wrong box, don't panic about that. We can definitely move things over. But I really encourage you as you're listening to the presentations, if you have a question that is top of mind, please type it immediately. Uh, and we are gonna do our best to get answers to those questions going um, and really have some sharing at the end of this uh, session. Um, so one valuable thing that we have started doing is we have started uh, resource gathering, and, and this is how we're going to track this. So all of the resources that are being shared during this call, um, any resources that you put into the chat boxes, we have them um, separated out by focus, by topic, and by source. And we are making this available through our learning management system, which I'm going to talk a little bit about as well. Um, if you uh, would like access to these resources, it's very easy to do. Uh, you can log into our AgriSafe Learning Lab and um, you can create a guest account and you can have access to all of these resources. It's very easy to find on the homepage under COVID-19. Uh, the resources will include this Excel sheet that I just showed you previously, um, as well as um, handouts of all of the sessions, PDFs of all of the slides. So if you feel like anything is going too quickly, all of this information will be there for you. Um, also, there are two course learning paths that AgriSafe has decided to offer free of charge. Uh, you can also access these in our learning lab. If you're looking for additional training and information, um, it's extremely valuable. 
uh, and we're really encouraging remote work at this time because um, it's obviously where, the way that things are going right now. So please uh, take a look at these two, Safety and Agriculture and Invest in Your Health, two amazing programs we're offering. Um, also, if you decide to become a member, we have membership exclusive trainings and certifications. Each, each participant that completes these trainings will receive a certification to fill educational credits um, or be part of their remote work training responsibilities to turn into their supervisor. Um, a recording of this webinar also will be available on this page as well. Uh, here's the link to that webinar. This will all be in the slides for you whenever you create your guest account in our learning lab. Um, and then if you would like to be a presenter in this series of webinars, please contact me. Um, I am coordinating all of the presenters and presentations for the webinar series. And here is my email information. Um, also, this will also be in the slides as well. When you create your account in the learning management system in our learning lab, you'll be able to access these slides and these emails. So don't feel like they're going too quickly. Um, and then we're very excited to have Catherine Feemster. She's our AgriSafe intern. Um, she's an MPH graduate student at Tulane University Public Health and Tropical Medicine. Uh, super excited to have Catherine on board with us, um, and she is going to be the contact for any of the resources you would like to share that are going to continuously be populated into that Excel sheet. Um, so with that, I'm going to hand it back over to Natalie, and please feel free to reach out with any questions. Thanks so much, Gwen, and um, we are very fortunate because we also have a second a Tulane graduate student intern, and her name is Emma Berquist, and she's actually going to be presenting next. Um, so, Emma, you can go ahead and unmute your mic, and we went ahead and made you the presenter. Hi, everyone. Emma, I'm glad to be here. Sorry. Thank you, go Emma. Ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm glad to be here and presenting. Um, I'll be talking to you about COVID-19 in rural America and the epidemiology behind all of that. Can you guys hear me? Yep, you're, you're coming in clear and your slides look good. No problem. No problem. So I want to focus in on four different factors that really put the rural population at risk for COVID-19. The first factor I want to uh, talk to you guys about is age. In rural areas, up to 20% of the rural population is above the age of 65, compared to only the 13% in urban areas. And compounding that is the average age in rural America is 73.3 years old. And as we know, and we've seen from data that age is a huge risk factor in having a more severe case of COVID-19. Uh, the next factor that really puts the rural population at risk is the health of rural America. In rural America, there is a higher uh, prevalence of smoking and since COVID-19 is a pulmonary disease this can lead to individuals being uh, more affected and having a more severe case of COVID-19. Furthermore there are also more chronic diseases in rural America such as heart disease, uh, COPD, all of those and all when you have comorbidity with those and COVID-19 there is a higher chance of having a more severe case of COVID-19. The next factor is the rural mortality penalty, and this just shows that in rural America, for every 100,000 deaths, there are 134 
4.7 excess deaths. This is not because of COVID-19 or anything. This is just in general. And this is not because rural mortality is going up. It's more because urban areas have a declining mortality. And this just shows that in a lot of cases, urban areas are better handled, like better, more capable of taking care of health concerns. And this can be due to a variety of factors depending on where specifically the area is. In some places, you might not have as good of access to care. You might have a far distance. You might have a different quality of care. All of those factors can lend into this. But really what's a concern here is that um, half of rural counties do not even have intensive care units. So when we look at the health and the age of these areas, that's going to really be a big factor in how they're impacted by COVID-19. And lastly, out-of-state tourists uh, have been a big issue uh, and concern to this pandemic. A lot of areas, especially where there's ski resorts, people have been going trying to flee this disease, leaving the urban areas and unknowingly bringing this to these rural areas. Uh, next, we want to look at the stratified data. So when we look at the broken down ages, once you're up to 60 years old, you really start to see a jump in mortality. There is a note that this is uh, this data comes from Wuhan since this is from the Chinese CDC. However, there are still high prevalences of smoking in uh, rural America, which is also going to compound. It's going to be a similar trend that we saw in Wuhan. And additionally, when you look at the comorbidities, you also see that cardiovascular disease, diabetes, chronic respiratory diseases, and high blood pressure, all that are common in or more common in rural areas, show higher uh, death rates with COVID-19. So now we want to look at the adjusted numbers. A lot of places are strictly looking at the number of cases and using that to assess the severities in the epicenters. So on the left, we have just raw numbers, the number of cases per in each county. But then when you adjust it for every 10K population, we start to see a shift in the map. All of a sudden we notice places like Miami and LA aren't highlighted anymore, but a lot more of center of America is. So we see a lot more of um, rural America being highlighted. And we do the same thing for the death count. Now this isn't as lit up of a map, but all of a sudden, you know, on the left, again, we just have the total number of deaths from COVID-19. And on the right, we see the total number of deaths divided by the, every 10K population. And we start to see more, like LA isn't lit up again. Certain cities aren't as bright, but we do start to see some odd counties being lit up that are more rural. So when we combine all these together, we get the case fatality rate. And we do that by taking the average number of or the, all the number of cases, deaths from the case of COVID-19 divided by the number of cases of COVID-19. So you, we get one map. And from this, we see that there aren't really any cities lit up at all. LA isn't lit up, New York isn't lit up, New Orleans isn't lit up, Portland isn't lit up, which are all the epicenters. But what we do see is we see a lot of rural areas that are lit up on this map. And this goes to show that urban areas are able to handle it much better than uh, the rural areas, which we which makes sense with the ages, the health, and the rural mortality penalty. And lastly, we want to look at the curves. So it, with 
COVID-19, it is just starting to come to rural America. They're probably a couple weeks behind urban areas, but that it's still showing up in these areas. Almost two thirds of rural counties in America have reported at least one case of COVID-19. So this curve is just starting, but the good news is that this is still in a containment phase and things can still be done to prevent this spread in rural America. So what can be done? The one thing that we like a lot of people really recommend is contact tracing. This was used in Wuhan to help control the disease and UK scientists who have been the specialists in COVID-19 are highly recommending this. And this has been used in infectious diseases all throughout history and time to help contain these highly infectious diseases. So what you do is you test for a case, you confirm the case, you contact them, and then you contact their close contacts of who might have also been infected. So you can do this in a lot of different ways. You can do it phone by the phone and you can do it door to door. In Wuhan, they did door to door, but a lot of people are now suggesting phone auditing and Bluetooth to help uh, use, use contact tracing. This is really great in rural areas because this, they are very community based and they can also, so it'd be great to help um, keep tracking of that. And there are a couple different ways that this can be done. The local government can step in or it can be more of a grassroots effort where an organization can step in and say, hey, somebody you work with closely has tested, knew somebody who tested positive, you may need to um, be somebody who is quarantined or in self-isolation now. So that can definitely help rural America stay in the containment phase and not get into the steep curve. So the next, there are a lot of other guidelines that have been laid out in Wuhan to help um, prevent this spread. So the number one thing, as we know, is rural areas are still in a containment phase. And the number one step for that is to prevent importation. You want to make sure that this doesn't get any further. So you really want to make sure that there's no new vectors coming in and potentially spreading the disease to everyone else. The next thing we really need to focus on is early action and early detection, which is much easier said than done. But a big way to help this is with contact tracing and more testing. The more tests you do and the more you contact trace, the more you can tell somebody you are infected, the people you know may be infected, the people you live with might be infected, and they can be put into isolation and stop from spreading and shedding the disease into the environment. Another great way to help rural America with COVID-19 is through telehealth. A lot of these areas, there might be one hospital that's a major economic driving force there, and this will keep hospitals and doctors in business and help them to stay in contact with their patients and keeping them healthy without maybe exposing them to the virus. It will also help them, you know, maybe keep people at ease knowing that they can call a doctor and stay healthy and not have to worry, well, maybe I have a disease, maybe I have COVID, maybe I don't. So I think this is a huge help. Another thing that they really reinforced in the Wuhan guidelines was disinfecting and protective wear. With protective wear, you really want to call or you really want to teach people how this virus spreads so they know to wear face masks not touch their eyes etc with disinfecting there are target areas that you really want to hone in on to disinfect these are areas such as ports educational centers parks where a lot of people may be going as well as elderly care facilities you disinfect these you have a lower risk of people contracting the virus from 
the environment. And lastly, we want to target the key populations. In Wuhan and in China in general, they did this in order to bring the R0 down. R0 is the average number of people infected from a person infected with the disease. So you want to get this to below one to stop the spread of disease. And the best way to do this, they found, was by targeting these key populations and isolating them and giving the rest of the population the best chance to either get herd immunity or get rid of the disease without infecting these high-risk populations and then giving, letting these high-risk populations back in. And then at that point, the health systems would be better equipped to handle the illness. So in this case, it might be better with rural America since we know that we see it saw from the one map that they're clearly not going to be as well equipped as urban areas. This would give them the chance to, you know, let this curve flatten and bring once the elderly and all the people with comorbidities might be able to come in, they might get it, but they would also, the healthcare systems in these rural areas would be able to handle this disease at that point. Thank you. Thanks so much, Emma. And um, Emma's going to provide a weekly update on the impact in rural, uh, so you can look for that in future series. Also, um, contact tracing that she spoke about in Massachusetts. Um, I understand that they've got a whole public health, about a thousand folks trying to implement that. So we're hoping to shed more guidance on contact tracing because we think there's an opportunity to utilize that in rural America as a method to prevent transmission. Our next presenter is going to be Amy Wolf, and she's the CEO of AgSafe. There is a difference between AgSafe and AgriSafe, um, and Amy can sh shed some light on what they do. The reason why AgSafe was invited to um, go ahead and present is because they have some really great con concrete information for employees uh, that work in the ag sector. So Amy, we're going to turn it on to you. Thanks, Natalie. Good morning, everyone. I hope you all are doing well. Um, I'm here in beautiful Escalon, California, just outside of uh, Modesto. And this morning, I wanted to take a little bit of time to share with you um, some of the resources that we've been uh, developing and putting together relative to how best to serve agricultural operations. I'm having am a little difficulty looking. making you the presenter. Let me fix that for you. Sorry. It looks yeah. like the system's getting getting caught up. It's pulling in. Uh, I don't know, Stacy, if you'll have a better. But there you go. There okay. we go. Yep. Excellent. All right. So let's. Excellent. Great. So at AgSafe, our organization, uh, we are a nonprofit organization that serves um, the United States, but works predominantly in states where you're growing uh, specialty crop commodities. So we're based in California. We also have a team in Kentucky and uh, folks that we collaborate and work with out of North Carolina. And our mission is to ensure that the agricultural community has access to practical resources, education, and training. We like to say we speak fluent regulator and work very diligently to ensure that uh, the agricultural community understands what a regulation says, and then from a more practical perspective, how they actually go about um, coming into compliance with those regulations. And so as COVID-19 has come about, we have focused our efforts in a couple of very specific ways. Number one, in creating a dedicated website, which I'm gonna share a couple of screenshots with you. 
Number two, developing guidance for agricultural operations. In fact, we've worked with the U.S. Department of Labor and OSHA on how we can take what we're hearing that we know is effective out in the field and, uh, and bring together those best practices into an easy to understand and easy to digest uh, working document. We've spent some time and energy working on putting together employee training and communication tools. One of the things that we know that has become a, an issue with the growers and the farm labor contractors that we work with is the rampant misinformation that is uh, available right now through social media, through mainstream media, just sitting around people's you know, living rooms at their dining room tables. And so ensuring that agricultural employers have access to quality training and communication tools to use with their workforce. And then lastly, ensuring that we're asking people's most essential questions. And so um, putting together a frequently asked questions section of our dedicated website and working with both um, the agencies as well as uh, legal counsel that specializes in agricultural labor issues to ensure that we've got the right information out there for folks. So first and foremost, we came together uh, and put together a dedicated COVID-19 resources webpage, um, the AgSafe website, agsafe.org. This is now the cover slide on our website, um, and we're updating these resources multiple times throughout the day. We've broken information down into what we feel like is the most thoughtful delineation, including creating an essentials page, because what we found is there's so much information coming out every day from the CDC, OSHA, Department of Labor, um, AgSafe, you know, crosses not just occupational safety and health issues, but we also focus on human resources and labor relations issues. So we're finding that we spend as much of our time tackling the important elements of COVID-19 mitigation and prevention of the spreading of the disease as we spend answering questions relative to, you know, the changes to paid family leave, the changes to um, paid sick leave. And so it's, it's both elements of the disease that we are spending our time in. And because there's so many resources, we felt like we needed to drill down into a, what's the most critical information that folks needed to know and thus our essentials page. And what we're trying to do is ensure that we create some semblance of, um, uh, of organization. And so as we do daily updates, we're making sure that we include dates and timestamps so folks know that this is the most current, most critical information that we've made available to them. Every couple of days, we're also sending out an updated COVID-19 resources uh, e-blast to our constituency and really trying to drill down and focus on the tools and resources that we're hearing from folks about what they need. Each day, a couple members of my team and I, ac across the three of us, we're in communication with about two dozen growers and farm labor contractors in seven different states. And we're having um, mostly through text conversation, what's the heartburn that you're dealing with today? What's the latest challenge that you're trying to navigate? We're finding that it's really critical that we stay in close communication with those folks to ensure that the resources that we are producing actually meet the needs of folks out on the ground. And in particular, um, in California, in Arizona, in Washington, in Texas, um, and in Florida, as we're beginning to come online with some additional fresh fruits and vegetables commodities, and they're navigating the hiring process, um, having to navigate that hiring process without their H-2A workforce, trying to provide information and ideas that will help them in hiring dozens, if not hundreds of workers and doing so in a safe manner. 
So that's where developing this guidance document was critical. And I'm very much mindful of time today. So I do wanna share this guidance document is over on the COVID-19 resources website. And I'm gonna just highlight um, in each of the areas that we developed some of the most sought after and frequently requested pieces of information. So social distancing has obviously been one of the precautions that we have all been uh, told to implement. And about three weeks ago, we received a phone call from OSHA wanting to know what was happening in agriculture in, in terms of how to begin implementing social distancing practices. And so a number of the areas that we've seen uh, growers take into consideration is how they're providing additional seeding, staggering the starting of shifts. So in turn, that staggering time trickles down throughout the course of the day. So that allows workers to be staggered through their breaks, staggered through their lunch, um, and then making sure that whatever meetings and or communication they're having at the start of every shift, that those times are also staggered as well. So really being thoughtful that, you know, if you have a crew of 30 workers, that you're breaking that crew of 30 into groups of 10 and ensuring that throughout the course of the day, from the start of the shift to the end of the shift, that you've given them the necessary space to meet, if not exceed the six foot distancing requirement. The other element to that that's been critical is how you physically space those workers when they're actually working. So we know um, growers are putting a row between workers, whether that's in the orchard, in a vineyard or out in the field. Um, and then also particularly with our leafy green commodities where we use harvesting equipment making multiple passes through a field to allow for workers to, again, physically distance themselves while working behind that equipment. So as to ensure that you're able to maintain, if not exceed that six foot recommendation. Communicating with workers. Um, when I have conversations right now with growers and farm labor contractors, and they say to me, what's the most important thing I should be doing right now? This is my answer to them. There is too much misinformation. There are cultural language and literacy challenges that is inherent within um, our workforce. As many of you may or may not know, the US Department of Education tells us that the average education of a farm worker in the United States is third grade in their native country. And 85% of all farm workers speak little to no English. So you can imagine and appreciate that with all of the information that is swirling in particular, as this information becomes more technical in nature, as we're talking about disease um, pathology and, and using really technical scientific words, it's very easy for our workforce to become confused, frustrated, and not fully understand their risk and the steps they need to take to protect themselves, which in turn leads to protecting their families. So we have um, been really encouraging and, and focusing on the importance of daily communication with your workforce we developed a couple of really low tech videos. Um, you know, I chuckle a little bit. Our dream has always been to have really robust video libraries. And right now it's um, as low tech as Zoom will allow us to be, that making sure that we have videos available in English and Spanish that we're encouraging employers to use that speak about signs and symptoms, that speak about what you should do if you're sick and daily having conversations with workers about what they need to do if they're not feeling well or anyone in their household isn't feeling well either. Um, drinking water um, and, and in a number of states, Arizona, Washington, and California, New York, you have state OSHA regulations that speak to what to do when temperatures begin to um, warm up. And I know in some of these states, this is beginning to become an issue. So um, with drinking water and with other aspects of 
sanitation out in the field, we're recommending that an individual on the crew be dedicated to serving drinking water from a communal source. Um, and that individual then is also responsible for um, the sanitation of communal resources. So regularly sanitizing the, the water container and the spigot, doing additional sanitation of portable restrooms and hand washing stations, but having a dedicated individual who has provided the proper personal protective equipment to ensure that much more frequent sanitation is happening out in the field. Worker transportation is a very tricky conundrum for folks right now, whether it's buses or vans, it's a challenge to tackle social distancing. And so the concept of staggering, we're seeing happen all the way to the beginning of the day and the end of the day relative to worker transportation as well. We're reminding folks, I don't know how many of you have sanitized the inside or the outside of your vehicle recently, but certainly ensuring that any um, pickup trucks, agricultural equipment, but vans and buses are being sanitized on a daily basis. We now know of some agricultural operations assigning seats, particularly in buses, to ensure that if someone does become sick, they're also able to identify who that individual is based on where they sat. And again, encouraging the staggering of um, of shifts, including the staggering of pickup, so that way you've got a row, um, possibly a row between each worker when it's a bus, um, and at least a seat between each worker when it's a van to help with those social distancing uh, elements. As I mentioned previously, relative to um, drinking, also having um, much more frequent sanitation of your portable restrooms and hand washing stations and ensuring that the individual that is given that responsibility is provided um, sufficient personal protective equipment to be able to do so appropriately. Um, we're looking at the need to much more frequently sanitize equipment and tools. Um, I know for many of us, uh, tool sanitation has become part of our day-to-day -day activities because of the Food Safety Modernization Act, but now we're looking at needing to do it with more frequency, and that has to be the focus for our workers' um, safety and health as well. Making sure that you're thinking about all the areas in which workers are going to come in contact with surfaces, so not just the tools that they're using in their day-to-day -day activities, but where are they going on their breaks, where are they going during lunch, do you have um, a break room with vending machines, do you have kitchens, um, thinking about the garbage cans themselves, but really being mindful that there is frequent sanitation of all of the resources and all of the surfaces that anyone within the operation might come in contact with. Um, also thinking about those places that aren't visited by many individuals. So if you have a shop, um, again, the, the equipment and tools that employees have been provided, just being thoughtful about what kind of sanitation is being conducted, who is conducting it, and that they're conducting it in a way and using disinfectant products that EPA has come out and said are good products to be using relative to disease mitigation and spread. And then additional precautions. Um, the CDC just this morning released updated guidance relative to uh, essential employees who have potentially come in contact with someone uh, um, that has tested positive for COVID. There's a lot of conversation happening about the frequency with which you should be evaluating your employees' health. Do you take temperatures for everyone? Do you not take temperatures for everyone? Um, there are thermometer shortages at the moment, so that is something to be mindful of, but I do need to ensure that everyone understands if you do go the route of taking temperatures on a daily basis, if you do go the route of um, evaluating employees' health symptoms on, on a regular basis, 
you must document that information and all that information must be kept separately and confidential under health privacy requirements. Um, the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has now come out multiple times and validated that the Americans with Disabilities Act under pandemic preparation does allow us as employers to collect this data but they've also reminded us that in collecting that data, it cannot be widespread. It has to be um, contained to a small number of individuals who, who know of that data and that that information is all being kept confidential. So I want to encourage anyone before you jump off into the land of taking daily temperatures and daily or with some degree of frequency asking employees about their signs and symptoms, that you have a, mechan a mechanism in place to collect that information confidentially and keep that information stored separately from other personnel information. Um, employee training and communications has been key. Um, we've developed a couple of videos and there's some great resources that have been put out by the CDC as well. One of the most recent documents that we prepared was a video in English and Spanish that speaks to tips of what the employees themselves need to consider. Um, it's interesting because you'll find a lot of the recommendations feel very akin to the conversations we have when we're talking about the worker protection standard and pesticide safety. So thinking about things like removing your clothing in the garage or the laundry room before you go into the house, having a dedicated pair of shoes that you're using just for work, making sure that you're washing all of your work clothes separately from your family's clothes, and at minimum washing your hands, but our preference is that you're taking a shower before interacting with your family. So it's important that we continually remind our employees of not only the things that we're doing to keep them safe on the farm, the additional precautions that we're taking, but the important things that they need to do when they leave the farm so they don't potentially bring something home with them. We've also put together a couple of handouts. Protecting yourself and your family is the newest one that we've put together, again, available in English and Spanish that we're telling folks to treat like a paycheck stuffer, to post it in their common postings area. But I think the more consistent um, communication that we can provide that again, that is clear, that is simple and easy to understand, the better to ensure that our workers also know the steps they need to take to protect themselves. And then frequently asked questions. So some of the questions that we've received with great frequency have to do with the Families First Coronavirus Response Act, in particular, how we as agricultural employers with 500 or fewer employees go about implementing paid sick leave and paid family leave. There've been a number of questions around fit for duty certification. I can say that while you as an employer are well within your right under FFCRA to require fit for duty certification, our Healthcare system is incredible, you know, is under incredible strain right now. We know of, for instance, some occupational clinics that have closed and are choosing to not even provide service right now because of the risk to their workers or because they have been pulled into mainstream healthcare service provision. Um, so just really thinking through that if you have someone who has been exposed or has tested positive or has been near someone who has been tested positive, Requiring fit for duty certification to return to work is a great idea, but the practical ability for them to make that happen with our healthcare system right now is limited. It, it potentially poses a challenge. Um, and then again, we've received a number of questions about um, the EEOC relative to the Americans with Disabilities Act and pandemic preparation. Please, if you wanna see more of the resources that we have, uh, visit our website, agsafe.org um, forward slash COVID-19 resources. We've also been putting a lot of information online in our, um, on our Facebook page, AgSafe Online. 
And I just want to say thank you to Natalie and the AgriSafe team for um, having this weekly think tank. I think it's a tremendous opportunity. I, I really feel like we're all in a work smarter, not harder place right now. And so our ability to share the resources that we're developing, keep ourselves informed and do everything we can to ensure our agricultural community stays safe and healthy is top of mind and top priority right now. So thank you. Thank you, Amy. And I know you have to um, run to another Zoom meeting, but just for clarification, folks want to know where they can find the videos that you've talked about. Is it on your website and is it open to the public? Yes. So all of the, if you go to the COVID-19 resources webpage, there is a videos and webinars dedicated page. And so all of the videos that we've developed, that we've pulled from other thoughtful um, uh, providers as well, everything is on the videos and webinars page that we've got coordinated with the COVID-19 resources website. Great. Excellent. Thank you for those concrete tips that help employers for sure. And we appreciate the partnership. So take care. I'm going to go ahead and go to the next uh, presenter here, Christine Sand. She's with the um, Rural Health Information Hub, and uh, she's going to provide some guidance to us about how that uh, information hub can provide a great resource as we continue to try to understand the complexities of COVID-19, especially as it relates to rural health. Thanks, Christine. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me on today. Uh, and I will uh, just take this opportunity to share some of the resources that uh, that the Rural Health Information Hub uh, has has on our site at this point uh, that might be helpful to you all. All right. Can you hear me now? Yeah, you're coming through yes. just fine. There's a little little delay sometimes when you move slides, but that happens to all the presenters. So it just takes okay. a little time to catch up. Yep. All right. Well, thanks so much uh, for having me today. Uh, so so Christine, I think you must have um, self-muted here. So I'm going to... Uh, yeah, you've made, you must have mute, set, hit the mute button. So we're gonna wait for you to unmute. Let's see. All yep, right. There you go. Okay, so you can hear me. Yes, you're um, good to go. Yep. <laughs> All right. No problem. Um, Okay, so uh, for anybody who's not familiar with the Rural Health Information Hub or RHI Hub, uh, we are funded by the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy. So uh, all of the resources uh, on our website and that we provide are free. Um, so uh, that's always something people want to know. Uh, we, we are operated as a partnership of the Center for Rural Health at the University of North Dakota uh, and we work with our partners, the Walsh Center for Rural Health Analysis at NORC and the Rural Policy Research Institute, or RUPRI. Uh, and uh, we have been working hard lately uh, trying to help people find all of the, the resources and information that is available about COVID. Uh, our, our charge is to be an information center on rural health. So we're kind of the national uh, information Center. Uh, so uh, obviously a lot of information coming out uh, recently uh, and I'm not sure why my slides aren't advancing here. 
sometimes it's a, just there. a delay. It just has a catch up. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Uh, so this is our website, uh, which you can find at ruralhealthinfo.org. Uh, and on our, uh, our homepage, you can see a link to uh, our COVID-19 uh, page. Um, so that's where we've been collecting uh, a lot of resources that are available. So we're out every day scanning the universe for new information uh, that we think it would be helpful for, for rural folks uh, related to, to COVID-19. Um, and so that uh, a large part of our audience uh, are people who are working in, in health or healthcare. Uh, so there's, that's more of what you'll see on our site, but we also um, do include things on agricultural health and safety, uh, also um, things like transportation. So um, looking at all of those things that affect health as well. Uh, so uh, on the COVID-19 page, uh, we are featuring a lot of uh, federal sites uh, that have information, you know, from the CV CDC, um, from ACL, um, HRSA, uh, kind of a wide variety of of different agencies that that are uh, are putting out information and opportunities uh, for for rural providers uh, at this time. Uh, and over on the left-hand side of that page, you'll see um, that you can go to find other uh, resources and funding opportunities and news uh, that's not maybe listed on this homepage because there is so much. Uh, so, you know, if you go into news, you'll find probably hundreds at this point of news items uh, related to COVID. And so, uh, lots of information um, from those agencies, but also things like national news stories about uh, rural health, uh, things from national organizations or um, that that we think people might want to know. Uh, so definitely don't ignore uh, what's over there on the, the left-hand side of the, the navigation. Um, and one of the, the new things that we just launched this week uh, is a page on rural COVID-19 innovations. Um, so what we're doing on this page is highlighting some of the ways that rural communities have had to innovate and adapt because of the, cha the rapid changes uh, with COVID-19. Um, so a lot of what you'll find on that page right now is related to, to healthcare and um, tracking uh, data and that sort of thing, uh, but we're really looking for a broad, um, a broad, more community level uh, as well. Uh, so, uh, you know, things like uh, related to agricultural health and safety uh, definitely would be a fit for this page. So, uh, so we're inviting you. Uh, to share those innovations with us, uh, how how you've adapted in your community. Uh, we also have some other pages that were existing prior to the COVID crisis that I think are still uh, very valuable at this point, um, including a page on the rural response to the farmer mental health and suicide prevention uh, issue. Uh, so obviously those those resources are still still valuable. Uh, 
and as we find uh, resources that kind of tie the two issues, um, COVID, you know, how is this affecting um, this current, you know, this previously um, existing issue, uh, we'll, we'll add those to that page as well. And we also do ha also have a page on uh, agricultural health and safety uh, that we're always looking uh, for for input on uh, how how we can make that better. Uh, we will be uh, adding resources related to COVID and how they affect um, egg health and safety uh, as as things go on. So I've uh, definitely been taking notes about some of the great resources uh, mentioned on this call so far. Uh, a, that we can we can add to that page. Uh, also, we have an online library uh, that has uh, all kinds of resources from organizations and agencies all across the United States. Uh, so uh, here you can can search by by topic, by type, uh, whatever you happen to be looking uh, for. Uh, whether it's funding and opportunities or resources or events. Uh, and once you get into those um, sections, if you search, say, by farmers and farm workers, then you can narrow down maybe to your state or maybe, uh, you know, I want something related to farmers and farm, farm workers plus wellness. Um, so you can, can do some um, browsing and narrowing that way uh, within the online library. Um, and then we have our models and innovation section uh, where we're collecting uh, things that work in rural communities uh, related to a wide variety of topics, uh, including agricultural health and safety and farmers and farm workers. Uh, and so uh, this is an ongoing effort uh, where we're, we're collecting those, those resources. So, um, I talked about that other page that was more COVID specific, but here uh, we're looking kind of more for those ongoing examples of, of what's working in, in communities. So um, there is a spot on that page where you can, can share your story with us. And so we encourage you to do that. We're always looking for great examples of, of what people are doing to improve health and healthcare in rural communities. Uh, and we do have uh, different ways where you can hear from us. Uh, once a week, we send out uh, an electronic newsletter called RHI Hub This Week, um, as well as we have where you can get customized alerts based on your preferences for topics, um, states, that sort of thing. Uh, and we offer RSS feeds uh, that you can see what's been added to our website. Uh, and um, also, if you have a specific question that you're not finding the answer to and you need some help, we do have a team of information specialists who can uh, help you. And so you can just call or email uh, and they can help you find uh, the answer to your question or an expert who might be able to help you. Um, so, so please uh, feel free to reach out uh, to our team. And that, that's... The end of the presentation. Again, thanks so much uh, for having me with you today. Thank you, Christine. And um, us at AgriSafe, we've used the Information Hub quite often. And um, these are resource specialist librarians that focus on public health and rural. So I can't 
emphasize enough um, for folks to tap into that their resource, especially you know, as um, there's funding opportunities that come out that you may be interested in. I love the fact that you have an innovation section. And if you don't share with them about your innovation, then it's hard to get it out to the broader public. So thanks so much for that. We did have uh, some questions questions that come came in uh, during the presentation. And I just want to um, go back to Emma, uh, part of your presentation. There was some questions about the maps. Um, there was a question about, it said higher count or rates appear dark red and lower count or rates appear orange or yellow. Um, I think that uh, it says hot spots appear red and cold spots appear blue. So I guess you can just provide um, some guidance again about uh, as far as the coloring uh, for each of those maps. Um, you know, I think what just summarize kind of again what we need to understand in terms of the um, the rates and, and the prevalence in rural. And I'm going to go ahead and you can go ahead and unmute your mic there, Emma. Okay, so yeah, when you go to the uh, Geo Data Center. Uh, from University of Chicago. You can look through all their different maps. It's a really great resource. And they have their key on the side. Um, you can either look at the choropleth or the cluster data. I was looking at the cluster data for my maps and the dark, like the bright red is high, high. The lighter, more muted red is a low high. The lighter blue is a high low and the dark blue is a low low. So the really dark blue cases that we saw on the slides were like lower counts of cases, but they are showing up that a lot of rural counties do have those cases. Okay, thank you for that clarification. And like I said, Emma's gonna continue to provide updates to us weekly because we wanna see what's happening in the trends in rural impact. Um, there was a comment about the contact tracing that uh, Emma described. And uh, one of the participants said that they thought that was a great idea for rural, and um, they wanted to know if there were any methods being used in that that sense. So, if any folks that are participants, if um, if you know of contact tracing that's been working in rural uh, communities, uh, please reach out, uh, post something on the chat or the question box. Um, we think that there's still time to be able to implement this, but it has to be at the local public health level, where local public health departments. Um, take hold of this concept and decide whether they're going to invest the funds. As I mentioned, in Massachusetts, um, they went ahead and they're employing a thousand workers to do exactly that contact tracing. So that's one of the things that we'll be focusing on between now and, and next week is seeing if we can get um, some more uh, case studies of how contact tracing has been working in rural America. We're hunting for that. We hope it's out there. If you're involved with that, again, please reach out to AgriSafe because we think that other communities can work from that model and learn from that model. I'm gonna see if there's any questions here. Um, let's see, there were some questions about um, resources related to mental health and COVID-19 in, in rural America. And um, certainly we know that's an area of great concern. Um, it was awful to see those pictures uh, showing uh, dairy farmers dumping their milk. Um, and so what you'll find in that Excel spreadsheet that we're working on is you'll see a section just related to mental health and certainly uh, folks that have resources on that, please send that that way. I wanna make sure that before we close the session here in the next five minutes, that if you've attended for this 55 minutes with us, that you take a minute um, and just contribute to the this think tank session, send something through the chat box, send a question uh, for us in terms of, hey, you know, what about this idea or can you find a presenter on on this topic? We need to hear from you. We want 
this to be an active session, not a passive session. So have that be your assignment before you, you uh, check off to, to let us know what we need to, to do for you in terms of pulling the resources. As you might know with AgriSafe, it's not the core staff. We have a great core staff that works hard, but it's the networking across the nation. And so I really like to see um, everybody contribute. We've got a wonderful resources that have been shared throughout the 55 minutes. But um, again, please don't jump off until you've taken time to either offer something up or to ask a question so that we can make sure to dedicate uh, future sessions appropriately. Uh, Stacy, did you see any other questions that came in that uh, that our presenters might? Uh, let's see here. Yeah, so there, a couple, there are a couple different topic areas. I don't know for sure what you want to tackle first, but there was a question about if there were any specific tasks, agricultural tasks in particular, that were more likely to cause problems. And it, you know, I'm sure that has to do with social distancing and other pieces like that. But anything more you'd like to add on that one? So what what was the the actual the question on that was it an offer for recent no looking for statistics about positive cases of covid-19 in specific agricultural tasks um, Okay so that's something we can investigate further and see if there anybody is looking at the, it from that particular perspective um and then any recommendations for when you need to train workers on a job um thinking of like tractor driving and you have to be in an enclosed cab, what recommendations would be in place to prevent infection? And th these uh, questions that Stacy's sharing with folks, these are some of the ones that are coming through and uh, we're seeing a lot of activity through the question box. So really appreciate that. That's gonna help us figure out what's a priority and what um, you're looking for, especially for the next next session. Remember, we've got um, seven more of these these uh, think tanks and uh, we're holding them regularly. So we're gonna triage the topics based on urgency and, and ability to prevent transmission. There was some, uh, some additional questions up again about where to find the videos that Amy shared. Again, AgSafe is what Amy Wolf presented. That's different than AgriSafe. So AgSafe is A-G-S-A-F-E dot org and we're AgriSafe dot org with, with an I, right? So an R-I. So um, you'll find the videos there. Um, and certainly any questions for uh, Amy or any other presenters that are coming through, we'll send to them. We're gonna be able to also send all of you an updated uh, Excel spreadsheet based on all the great resources that have been generated just in this, this hour. Well, I appreciate everybody's time. We had a, a great uh, turnout last week as well, and uh, several groups have offered to present, and we're so appreciative of that. Uh, so continue to, to reach out to us on that. We're going to, again, triage based on, um, on uh, priority and timing. Uh, thank you, everybody, for your time today and the panelists for all your time as well. And uh, we'll look to connect with you all a week from today. Thanks so much. Stacey, I'm just going to keep it open because we're still getting some more questions coming in so that way we won't miss, miss that uh, tally.
Yep, I'm sitting here too, trying to keep an eye okay. on, make sure we leave time for people to finish any questions or comments they wanted to add. Okay. And um, for those who have questions that are looking for like real concrete answers, again, we're going to outsource them to the different panelists. Um, so because we have your email, we can get that back to you. So it will take us some time to uh, get through some of these questions and make sure we can answer the ones that are very specific. Okay, Stacy. looks like uh, the questions have stopped coming in. Again, thank you everybody for your time and um, we're so appreciative of the involvement and active participation. Have a good day. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the AgriSafe Network podcast, where our mission is protecting the people who feed the world. You can learn more about the AgriSafe Network at agrisafe.org, and be sure to check out the Learning Lab and all of the excellent resources available on the site. You can also find us on Facebook or contact us anytime at info at agrisafe.org.